1: Hello, weirdos. Welcome home to Casey's Freak Show podcast. On today's episode, I'm talking with yet another awesomely free friend, Alexis Sanchez. Alexis is a sober, transgender, LGBTQ advocate who was recently welcomed by her employer, Contacto Entertainment, as Hollywood's first Latina transgender talent manager in the making. She helped organize this year's LA Pride and went on a cross-country RV trip to disarm hate last summer. Alexis's openness of self and struggle constantly inspires me in a world that seems hell-bent on putting us in boxes and shrinking us down. Hi, Alexis. Welcome to The Freak Show. Hi, Casey.
0: Thanks for having me.
1: Yeah. I haven't seen you in a little bit.
0: Yeah. um, I don't know. Like our paths kind of like they'll intersect (laughs) for a little while and then we drift apart. But every time I see you, I get really happy. And like you're super important to me, you know, like what as a trans person, like I struggled a lot with body image. And that's Mm. always been like one of those things that um, it's been something I've had to do a lot of work on. But like you're just like you're so comfortable in yourself and like you love who you are and like it's helped me grow so much. I feel
1: like it's complete. It goes both ways. Like I just mentioned in in your intro, I am always looking at your social media and thinking like, thank God for Alexis because it feeds off of each other. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm not always my confidence didn't happen in a vacuum for many years and until actually very recently, I would say it's fake it till you make it. I didn't actually believe myself or like myself or my appearance for a long time you know everyone has their struggles with that but thank you you're so so kind um I saw you were just involved in organizing this year's West Hollywood LA Pride how was that? What did, what were you involved in doing that?
0: Okay, so basically, um, I was one of the volunteer coordinators for Sizzle. And Sizzle is this space that's put on by the addiction services at um, the LGBTQ Center. Oh, that's and very then,
1: specific. I didn't know that
0: existed. Uh-huh. Yeah, they have like a whole wing and a branch that's like dedicated to like um, just helping people recover mainly from crystal, crystal meth addiction, okay. which is like really, really big in like the LGBTQ community. Like a lot of people. I didn't know that. Crystal. Uh-huh. It like... Um, that and drinking, like I, it's one of those things that I've been talking with one of the o- other organizers. And, um, I feel like when you come out, all the things that you have, all the things that there are to do are kind of centered around drinking. Oh, like you, you mean go out the, as
1: a gay person uh-huh, like, or a queer person rather?
0: Uh-huh. It's like, okay. So I, let's say I, even when I came out to myself, um, I was like, okay, I think I'm trans. I'm going to mm-hmm. look into transitioning, and people sent me to the trans night at, Trans bars
1: Okay Or like
0: queer bars You know And it's Um, always
1: like A big like fest
0: uh Uh-huh Of of
1: partying And debauchery Cause you know Just like feeling Like with your community A lot of things Center around drinking You know mm
0: -hmm. Any community really To be honest Yeah I mean I think like Especially in the Like in the LGBTQ community Like I know And I'll try to only Speak for myself But I know that I carried Like a lot of shame Around who I was Mm -hmm. And a lot of like Just um It's easy to lose myself in drink and if all the social, you know, like if all the social events are kind of centered around Mm -hmm. that, like I can fall into that life so quickly. And part of me is really thankful that like I didn't transition until I was trying to get sober. Um, Okay,
1: so you became, you know, you transitioned to female after you got sober. Uh Uh-huh. Do you think that had something to do with your sobriety?
0: I think, well, okay, so... I've known I was trans since I was a little kid, right? Like earliest memories. Really? I uh-huh. Like I can remember being two, three years old and like just not understanding why I couldn't play with my girl cousins things and like why yeah. I was being forced into like this gen, you know, I don't understand that they're like conditioned gender roles when I'm three, totally. but like, I just, I'm like this, these things don't make me happy. These things make me really happy. Why can't I do those things? Um. So I can remember that from when I was a kid. Did you try then, playing
1: with dolls and girl things and get scolded ever?
0: Um yeah my dad was like super super like you know um my background is a latina and like mm. the men are like super super macho mm-hmm. and if you're like raised in a conservative family like the you know like the men are super manly and like if you don't do anything that like if you do things that like err from that you're just kind of like chastised and scolded and stuff um
1: totally even in my home which was white um was my brother and i would dress up my younger brother one time in my pink dress because we were just kids being really uh goofy and we were laughing at chris my younger brother and my mom walked in and she screamed at us get him out of that dress you know we were all doing it as a joke we were just goofy little little children. But to my parents, it was a threat against our fitting into society.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think like all these things like start to condition. So like I, as a kid, like like I knew who I was and like I would but I would get scolded if I was that. So like I was I just pushed down who I was. Right. And it just keeps going into adolescence, you know, like and then I go to to like grade school, middle school, high school. And like any femininity is like just mocked. And it's just kind of so I continue to push that aspect of myself down. Mm-hmm. Um and then furthermore, like by the time I was like 16, I had access to the internet and like I kind of did some research and I figured out that I'm like, oh, trans is a thing. Like people transition, like there's been trans men and women throughout history. And the
1: internet was newer than when we were in uh-huh. our teens. I remember MySpace was just coming about when I was 16. I'm 28 now. So it was just barely a resource, but it was at least something.
0: I found some GeoCities page. I think that like <gasps> Shows my age, yeah. but like, I remember like <laughs> Geocities and Alta Vista and like, mm-hmm. um, but finding like those early resources um, for like other trans people that were just kind of sharing their stories and trying to reach out to other people. Right. So um, I looked into it and like immediately one of the things that that I noted when I was 16 and like doing research into transition was like, you know, trans women are on the margins of society. We still are today, but like mm-hmm. even, you know, 20 years ago, it was like so much, so much worse. And, um, I looked at all this, you know, like the trans murder rates and the fact that, like, it's really, really hard to find work as a trans. Oh, they had that
1: listed online back then. Yeah, because wow. it, it's
0: been it's been like a recurring thing for a while. And like, I remember there was this woman um, who was named Gwen Arahu. And I just remember because like she was the beginning for it, it was just like a trans woman that was found murdered and was in the news. And it kind of kind of got like propagated in my circles. And I remember just thinking like, OK, well, if I transition, that's what I have. To I'm going to die. Yeah. And there's real there's...
1: violence against that. Just uh-huh. like, you know, that I am very aware of the violence against sex workers. So when I get an actual death threat, it actually puts a lot of fear inside of me. Uh-huh. These are real threats yeah. to our communities.
0: Um. Yeah, it's. It's it's really really tragic. And- so
1: so um, you knew you wanted or that you associated yeah. with being a woman, or I'm sorry, identified as a woman from an early age.
0: Uh
1: huh. Um, so when where did sobriety play into all this? Do you think?
0: Okay, so uh, since I couldn't. You know, like, I was always uncomfortable in my own skin, so I started self-medicating gotcha. with weed and alcohol. Um, yeah. And it worked for a while, kind of, you know, everything that I did in my life was empty. Like, I had some success in music and some success in my other careers in my early 20s. Um, but it was all empty, and I just, like, drank and did a lot of drugs on top of it because, like, it was kind of pointless. It really wasn't for anybody. Um so by the time I was twenty-seven, I was drinking about a bottle and a half of cheap vodka a day, Oof, and yeah. just like physically addicted to alcohol. The and alcoholic um, life, I know. Yeah,
1: I know so well.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, so I was like literally dying, and a doctor—I had like the early stages of cirrhosis, and a doctor was like, "If you, don't oh my get god, how sober, old were you? Twenty-seven. Um,
1: oh wow. Yeah. Yeah. Your liver was just giving out on you already. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's alcoholism." Um,
0: So, yeah, my doctor was like, if you don't get sober, you're gonna die. Like, you won't live to see 35. So I started looking into resources and started trying to get sober. um, But I was still trying to be something I wasn't. And it was like so...
1: It was like a dishonest life. Uh Uh-huh. Absolutely.
0: The worst part, like one of the worst chapters of my life has been trying to be sober and trying to be a cisgendered straight guy. And like that just isn't who I am. And it was Because without the drugs and
1: alcohol, you're looking in the mirror every day and you know that you're lying to yourself. I I think I just felt that in different ways when I was drinking and partying. I surrounded myself with people who I thought were cool on the outside. They looked good in Facebook photos. Um, They got me into rad events where I could associate myself as being really cool. And I just, I knew I wasn't being the me, the quirky, fun-loving, obnoxious, goofy, ridiculous me. And so I I think I know that in a different way. And sobriety personally has given me the last two years, um, just like I've slowly come back to my true self. And I would even say that's the self that I was in my early teens. And maybe even as a child, just like wearing like colorful outfits and not trying to fit in to the cool party scene. It's so cool getting sober, because without booze to drink down all the feelings of falsity you're just suddenly faced with who am I but also getting to be that person Mm
0: -hmm. the real you it's one of my favorite parts about like I do a lot of work in sober communities and I do a lot of work um, in the trans community um, and in the queer community as well and it's just like I get to see people like really come into their own and get comfortable oh, in themselves. And beautiful. like sometimes, you know, people try a couple different things on and like even in early transition, like I was like super, super feminine in yes. like early transition. And then I just kind of like came back to the center to kind of like androgynous and like eventually found my style. Right. It's
1: sort and, of the two steps forward, one step back mentality that I think defines a lot of our lives. Just mm-hmm. progress. Like we sort of have to go a little extra to find where the comfortable space he says, I'm the exact same. Yeah.
0: Um, <laughs> I love looking at old pictures, right? Like mm-hmm. even pictures of the last three years. I'm like, oh, wow. Yeah, I, that was that phase. And I was dating <laughs> this person. And like that was a whole nother thing. But um, yeah, I once I finally came out to myself um, and was like, OK, if, like I'm trans and like it's it's, I've known this my whole life and I don't think I can be sober and try and be something I'm not. So mm-hmm. I'm going to look into transition um, that, you know, like I started looking in and seeking resources for transition, um, like all the cool. services from the LGBT Center. Um, so... My transition and sobriety have gone hand in hand. And I'm, I'm really, really thankful for that because sometimes I feel like if I had come out and transitioned earlier in life without getting sober, like mm-hmm. I probably would have gotten sucked into crystal meth and like, some oh, of the I other see the, yeah, the party
1: community uh-huh. within the trans community. Yeah. How long have you been sober for?
0: Three years, a little over three years. Oh,
1: cool. Yeah. You're about a year or so more than me. And I feel like we've seen each other grow in our oh, sobriety, it's like you were talking about body positivity earlier. I remember I had a beach soiree last year for my one year sober rebirth day, And I remember you telling me that that was the first time you'd worn a bathing suit yep. as a girl on the beach. And that it was just like, it was a little uncomfortable. But at the same time, I think you were, and as I was of you, just proud of like your growth. And I feel like that within myself too, proud of my own growth. Cause we know what it's like to live a lie and drink it down and use drugs to, you know, ta- tamper it all down. Yeah, it's not a fun life. But you have you have a girlfriend now and you seem so happy. Like how
0: is how is your relationship? Um, it's really really wonderful. Like I don't know, it looks I, it in all the pictures at least. I had to. Um, It's that getting to the point where I was ready to like date her um, was like letting go of a lot of stuff as well, you know. Like Mm -hmm. even my own journey coming to terms. So okay, so when I, okay, before I transitioned, I I, you know like I was a cisgender straight guy, right? So I dated women primarily, um, but. My whole life, I've kind of, like, I've never been comfortable with my genitals. And, like, anytime like, anyone went near them or, like, you know, like, my part, you know, like, whoever I was dating, um, things started to get more sexual. Um, I would kind of shut down and it just kind of, yeah. it, like, never really worked. Um, so, but, you know, like, because I was Because you couldn't still,
1: be physically intimate. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, so, you know, people would fight. Well, whatever. That was, like, the past, right? But um, totally. it, did, it did kind of, like, set up... Um my journey in transition and figuring out like who I even want to date. So when I first transitioned I was like okay so um I'm a girl now I guess I'll try and <laughs> date guys I'll try and be straight right. Oh really um, cuz you
1: were you said you were like kind of bi before?
0: I mean I was I mean when I okay and I'll only speak to m- for myself but like when I was 15 I was just like I don't know I'm hormonal and everyone is attractive. <laughs> I know like, me
1: too. I remember when I was like a young child my first I I mean I was like masturbating or just laying on my hand on my clitoris since the age of uh, or like the third grade you know as, as far back as I can remember really and I would I remember I'd watch movies and the women would have big breasts and that's what I would lay on my hand too and I thought there's something shameful about me there's something wrong with me because in my family it wasn't okay to be gay and uh-huh. what I later realized is like I'm just attracted to anyone and everyone and yeah. I'm a human Yeah, and it doesn't have to be defined like s- specifically my sexual orientation
0: i think like i had a lot of the same stuff and like i just i toyed with the idea pre-transition pre-everything of like just dating whoever i was attracted to but at the same time like i can't really be f- physically intimate with anyone so it's just like okay whatever like mm. i'll just be attracted to people that's cool and i had a tendency <laughs> to like fall in love with my best friend like pattern throughout my whole gotcha. life but um So when I transitioned, I was like, okay, like, anything is on the table, right? I'm just going to, like, try, and I've always wanted to try to, like, have a boyfriend, I guess. And, like, there was another aspect of when I first started um, dating You know, like something about being seen with a really attractive man had it provided me a different kind of validation. Like just oh, like as a
1: as a woman, yeah. You were like, I'm arm candy. I'm wanted. Uh huh. I'm I'm the girl to the guy. Like this traditional roles that are given to us so often.
0: Yeah. Um, all of that stuff, like I I had to really pull at and do like a lot of writing and a lot of work Absolutely. with like my therapists and in mm-hmm. groups and stuff to just kind of be like, what do I actually want? Like, what is it? Am I attracted to the person or am atta- I am attracted to the fact that like when I'm with oh my God. him in public, people just see me as like another woman with another guy. And I, like, can, I can strong... relate to that
1: in a way of like when I started stripping, I a lot of my validation came from the men's compliments and their money complimenting me and just constantly being fed validation through money and words that I was hot oh you're so gorgeous you're so hot you have beautiful this you have hot that and that was like a big reason why I liked dancing at first was because I really wanted that validation but it was so slim and it would just like evaporate into the air after a little while now I like dancing because I like dancing and I'm good at hustling Um, but it's less about what the guys think of me because I already like myself Mm -hmm. you know honestly the only person I really want sexual validation from is my boyfriend at this point but I relate when when you're just sort of like I would sleep with lots of guys I wasn't attracted to merely because I wanted them to validate me once I was naked Uh uh-huh it was just like Wait, what am I even getting out of this? What do I what am I seeking out of this?
0: I think it's really great that like, you know, in a sober mindset, I can actually look at those things and like just kind of continue to grow from all these experiences. And Absolutely. every person that I dated and had like that weird, gross feeling of like there's something not right about this. Yes! Like, I use ah! that to like push me into the next thing and then just kind of yeah. continue into that, right? So um I think You know, I was just kind of like trying to date various people throughout my transition, um, you know, like now being sober in transition, and nothing was really sticking and nothing really felt right. And about a year ago, I went on I went on that disarm hate Documentary. And That's I, right, and
1: uh-huh. I'm sure we'll come back to that. But basically, it was an RV tour across the country to DC. Uh-huh. Right after my friends and I took an RV tour that was across a couple of states. I remember you asking me like, "How do you survive survive an so RV bad. in the summer heat?" And I was like, so "Well, we all lost our damn minds, but it was fun." Yeah,
0: <laughs> it was like a life changing experience for so many reasons. But like a big one for me was um, okay. So when we were in the ca- the first meeting where I met the the rest of the cast, like this girl walks in and I'm just like, oh and, and my this was. Gosh. Uh,
1: just to clarify this was for disarm hate which is a documentary um, what was the documentary about
0: so um, basically we went across the country and we stopped at the site of different um, hate crimes against LGBTQ people that's so and we talked to some of the people involved and we visited the sites and then we went to a rally in Washington DC and then we came back and stopped at some more sites Um, and it was just like really intense and really powerful. and it was
1: in the summertime heat I mean being an RV taking it across the country in the summertime we did it like a couple weeks before y'all did it and we only went a couple across few states but it was we were all gonna die slash murder each other but as you were saying what happened in the rv that was ridiculous
0: um okay so first off the first day like the fridge broke and all the food (gasps) went bad so (laughs) so, yeah we're stuck in this rv for nine days and anytime you open the fridge it just like floods the rv with the most awful putrid smell um the rv it was like an omen
1: like Get ready. Buckle up, y'all. Uh-huh.
0: Like, Buckle up. Yeah, that was day one, and we all got food poisoning from that. Not all of us, but some of us <laughs> got food poisoning from that food. At some point during the trip, like, the RV sprung, like, a leak from the roof when we were driving through no. rainstorms. And, like, all this crazy stuff. I hope some of that stuff makes it to the film, because, like, it was... It intense. was re- really intense, and there was just a month's worth of life packed into nine really, really intense days. But, um... Yeah. And we'll come back to it a little more because it really like changed who I was. But But, then in um, in
1: opening up to dating the girl you're currently dating.
0: Yeah. So I was. um, So we were in that first production meeting and I see this girl walk in and I'm just like, oh, my gosh, she's gorgeous. How am I going to like I have to stay on the opposite corner of the RV the entire time and be in like a different room (laughs) for. Oh, she worked on the documentary. She was one of my castmates.
1: Oh, I had no idea. Yeah. How did I not know that?
0: Yeah. um, This was. Previous to the person I was dating. Um,
1: Oh, okay. This is before your current. Uh Gotcha.
0: So she and um, yeah, I don't know. Like I was just really attracted to her and we spent a lot of time together. And um, and eventually, you know, like at some point during the trip, we hooked up and we Hooking up, and there was some other stuff that I had to look through because I've had my whole life to like this is
1: some real world out. road rules shit going on over uh, here.
0: It was, I, I can't, I really can't wait to see the finished product. I want to see like, it, really. Um, I
1: hope you have confessionals but, where
0: you're like, she's a babe and I don't know what to do about it. Uh huh. Um, I'm pretty sure I recorded something like really. That. But, oh my god, um, so you hooked up, yeah, but yeah, I've had my whole life to figure out being trans, right? But I've never figured mm-hmm. out like. Being perceived as a woman dating a woman in the world, like I haven't had to deal with that. Like I haven't oh. even had to process that. I haven't had to like deal with that fear. We were in Utah, and then I went to hold her hand. I'm like, oh fuck, we're in Utah. Like <laughs> this maybe might not because there's so different well. scripts
1: for female female lesbian relationships or um, male and male gay relationships. There's different scripts, and yeah. a lot of them are unwritten. We don't know the rules to follow once we're in those relationships.
0: Yeah, um, it's been, it was a whole nother chapter of growth and a lot of time talking with my therapist of like, oh my gosh, I'm a lesbian. I don't really know. Like, how do I, what, what? Um, And technically, I I identify as pan, you know, like I just, I'm attracted to the entire spectrum. I'm really attracted to people more than like genitals. But um, that being said, there was just some unpacking that I had to do around my own internalized homophobia.
1: Um, So when you, what happened to make, to allow you to meet your current girlfriend and be open and vulnerable with her as you guys seem very intimate and very happy.
0: Um a lot of it has to do with how the last thing ended. Okay. Like um I don't know just like Myself and my castmate weren't compatible. You know, like, it, it just happens. Sometimes people aren't compatible. Like, I need certain qualities out of a partner that she just doesn't have, and she needs certain qualities out of a partner that I don't have. Mm-hmm. So it just didn't work. We tried to date for about three weeks after we came back, and it just it didn't work, and it fizzled. And it was my first sober, like having even hooked up with anybody and I was just like, crushed. oh, that's, it's so like,
1: awkward. So... Oh, my gosh. I remember the first couple hookups I had in sobriety. And in my head, I was like, I can't do this. I can't do this sober. Like because my whole sleeping around thing happened those five years. I was drinking really hard, using drugs and I was single. Um And to do it sober is a totally different experience, like sleeping with somebody and getting intimate. I'm, I'm similar to you in that My first long-term boyfriend, who was like five and a half years ago before my current boyfriend, we barely had sex. We dated for almost three years. We barely ever, almost, almost never had sex. And I tell people that and they think that's very odd, but I think there's a lot of internalized sex shame that I have. Maybe he had two. And it's it's different. It's a different kind of relationship when you can't be physically intimate. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure how religious people do it, but it's 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 weird. It got weird. Yeah. It got a little too platonic. I'm sure for either of our tastes, it was. And then the thought I remember telling a friend back then in college, it was like the thought of sleeping with my boyfriend makes me feel like I'm sleeping with my brother. Like it because oh, it was just God. so weird at that point, and I was so blocked yeah. off intimately, uh-huh. you know, I intimacy issues. Um, so we're going to go on a break in a minute. So what happened with your girlfriend?
0: Oh, yeah. So, like, after that ended, um, you know, I was like, okay, like, I like... There was things that I liked about the relationship. There were things that I weren't, that I didn't. So, like, these are the qualities that I need in a partner. And, um... Lo and behold, about three weeks after um, I had that bad heartbreak, like, um, I met my girlfriend in my uh. therapist's office in the lobby. Wait, I... what? Yeah. In, the, in the therapist's office? You have the same therapist? Well, we have the same. Um, it's like a group of therapists. Okay. Um, so we don't have the same exact therapist, but I met her in the lobby <laughs> and we just started talking. Um, and I was like, okay, 50 50 shot. She might be like really like, really really bad or it might be someone who's just like working on herself like I am right Um and it's really turned out to be like the most it's been the best relationship of my life like I really like wow. the more I discover about her like our personalities just play really well together our senses of humor are like really similar yeah. so like I laugh with her more than I have with any other like partner and almost any other friend that I've had and um, you know like just our like Our body stuff kind of matches. We both have had body stuff, so we can communicate about it and just kind of like, you understand where the
1: level you're on with that. Uh I feel like I'm in a similar type of relationship. I'm also dating, well, not also, but I'm dating a recovering alcoholic as well. So we sort of understand each other's sensitivities. We have a lot of them, both of us. And it's cool in sobriety because. Before, I mean, neither of us had any communication skills. If I was mad at, at a boyfriend or anyone, I'd bottle it up and I'd be super passive aggressive. Yeah. But you learn once you get clean that you can't just hide anymore. So you have to open your mouth and say how you feel to save your ass. And in that, being in a relationship has forced me to grow tenfold more than my first year sober when I wasn't dating anybody. Because I've had to go deeper within myself and face some more demons that I didn't want to face before. Yeah.
0: Totally. I've done more writing and heavy lifting being in this close intimate relationship yeah. than I did at any other point in my society. Fuck yeah.
1: And it is fucking painful. Let me tell uh-huh. you what. But the rewards, getting a bouquet of flowers and the type of sexual and romantic intimacy I'm getting to feel right now, which it sounds like you guys are are also establishing, it far surpasses, you know, these material jo- career type rewards I got my first year sober. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'd, I'd love to just blossom every area of my life and I'll see it keep growing. But being in a relationship has, wow, it, it forces the change. It forces those walls to come down. Yep. Painful. Okay. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. All right. We're back to Casey's Freak Show podcast with Alexis Sanchez. Um, it's been so good catching up with you. So Tell me a little bit more about the RV tour for the documentary Disharm Hate. How did you get involved with that? What was the purpose of it? We touched on it before.
0: So... I've known the director. um, I knew her pre-transition and she's one of the people who's watched me just kind of like come out and come into my own and continue to blossom. Right. So after the Orlando, after the incident at Pulse last year, um, Mm -hmm. she decided she wanted to make a documentary um, about gun related violence against the lgbtq community that was like she had her vision and she was just Mm -hmm. like spurred to action and she's like i want to make a film that talks about like the violence that we've always seen and like you know it's just getting worse and worse so um she approached me and the other castmates just with this idea because there was a rally in washington dc and her idea was like oh i
1: remember that yeah
0: yeah, we did. the ra- So basically the thought was like, we're going to go to the rally. We're going to take an RV and stop at different at the sites of different hate crimes. Um, and she had kind of like plotted it so that we found some that were on kind of not too far out of the way and have like something relevant to each of the activists lives. So, um, you know, I know
1: my friend Rachel Fisher. Um, she's also sober and LGBTQ advocate. She was on the trip, too, which was Really awesome and crazy to see y'all together. She actually was one of the few people I know before I got clean that I reached out to about getting clean. Um, I know she has a number of years sober and she's an amazing comedy writer. You guys were cooped up in an RV together.
0: She, yeah, she's great. She's so funny. Um, she is an was, amazing
1: comedy writer, man. Yeah. Wow.
0: But, um, yeah I don't know like the entire cast is really special like we all like some people have been out for a really long time some people have been are just kind of like newly out or newly sober and like we were all really different just kind of across the spectrum of like race and naturally you know like there was a couple lesbian people who identify as lesbians people who identify as bi people who identify as gay and people who identify as trans um,
1: oh cool So a lot of representation
0: yeah it was like this kind of hodgepodge Across the community and um we went across the country um the first stop that the first big stop that we stopped at were was in memphis um it was east memphis tennessee and we stopped at the site where this woman named uh duana johnson was found murdered and basically like she had been detained um she's a trans woman of color and she had been detained by the cops um i think like 18 months before she she was found dead and um she was suing the police department for, like, mistreatment and mishandling, and oh. she had some sort of documented evidence. So yeah. she had, like, a case, and, like, basically what happened was, like, one day she turns up murdered, and the cops are like, we don't oh, know. what we, a
1: fucked up like, coincidence.
0: Yeah, we don't know what happened. Nope, we have no leads. This is a cold case. So I actually stood on the corner where Duana was found. Um in East Memphis and it was just like not a great part of town and mm-hmm. it was just like something about standing in that spot like
1: and there is really? from what what I've heard um they against there's a lot more violence specifically against trans women of color mm-hmm. even within the trans community
0: yeah it's it's that whole intersectionality thing like especially um
1: so how do you ex- explain intersectionality just to someone who might not know
0: so it just has to do with like the way that like Oppression, like, a okay, so, like, if you're African-American in this country, you experience oppression. If you're a lesbian, you experience oppression. If you're, mm-hmm. you know, if you're a woman, you experience, you know, like, blowback and hatred and, like, all and sorts so of things. And so if and, you're
1: multiple things, you're going to have double, triple the uh-huh. amount of pushback, of violence, of oppression, yeah. hatred.
0: Trans women of color have to deal with like the issues of like, you know, just racism mm-hmm. and misogyny mm-hmm. and just like it's the I I just get really like choked up and move thinking about it because there's still a lot of work to be done. So um, much.
1: Sometimes living in L.A., I feel like it feels we live in this paradise where people are so accepting. I step out of L.A. I even go fly back home to Oregon. And the things I hear, the people everyday people talk about it there's so much hatred seeped into all of their language and into their mentality and I'm not saying we're free of it here in LA but we live in a goddamn bubble
0: that's for sure totally it was like there was a a culture shock you know stepping i i'm born and raised in la and oh you
1: lucky bitch uh uh-huh i've (laughs)
0: traveled a little bit um but i've mostly traveled along the pacific coast you know so like going to memphis was like complete culture shock going to like i've never been to the south
1: before is that scary i'm like it scares me i just feel like oh they're scary over there
0: it It was interesting. Like it was just different. Like I learned a lot. Like people are still people and you will get like people who are bigots and people who aren't, you know, like regardless of where you're at. There were certain things that I didn't expect. Um, You know, like I'm kind of like ambiguous race and I could I look like I could be Middle Eastern or Hispanic. Mm -hmm. And um, I got so I got like gas store clerks that wouldn't talk to me or look at me, where the rest of the cast, like, you know, like, some of our black cast members, like, they were fine with them, but, like, if you're brown, like, they're just like, so... That's really
1: interesting.
0: uh Uh-huh. Like, a lot of... A lot of the things that I saw on that trip made it so that when I came back and, you know, like after the election, I'm like, okay, I'm not that surprised because there is a lot of like anti-Muslim. I wasn't surprised either.
1: No, where I grew up, it's Oregon and Oregon's a blue state because of Portland. But I'm like 30 minutes out in a small town. And that's where the rednecks reside. That's most of this country. I wasn't shocked at all. Of course, I was disgusted and afraid, but I wasn't shocked. Yeah. You know, L.A. is a beautiful bubble, and I feel so lucky to live here. I, I you know, I, I rarely want to leave.
0: Yeah, it, Um, I don't know. It's my home for so many reasons, but um, the fact that I'm safe here is a really, really big one. Um, but yeah, so like we went on this like really crazy journey together and, um, right now they're like, we're about to shoot like some of the promo, um, material video, like the promo materials for it and it should be out. Do they know
1: when it's coming out? Um,
0: sometime next year. I think it's, they're trying to get it to festivals.
1: Also, I just saw on your Instagram, you were posting, you just got a new job with this amazing company, um, representing minority talent in the industry, the entertainment industry. That's fucking rad. Tell me about your job. How is that going? How'd you get it?
0: Okay, so the company's called Contacto Entertainment. Okay, spelled... I totally messed up
1: that up when I said it in the intro. Oh, yeah, no <laughs>
0: worries. It's all good. I mean, it's it's spelled with a K um and um yeah, it was founded so the CEO and founder is a Latino woman who's, like, worked in the industry for a number of years, and her vision is she's just, like, I want to help Latino and Latina talent get more roles in Hollywood. That's that was so her vision. So cool. And she founded this company on it, and, like, I've known her for probably a good amount of my sobriety. And um, she had reached out to me back in October, but my life was really busy then. Um, So I saw her again in March, and she reached out to me, and she's was like, cool. I... I I think you would be really good for this project, Um, and you know, like it's just really neat to be a part of a company that, like, I feel is like aligns with
1: your values. Yeah, totally.
0: We're just trying to help people who are underrepresented in Hollywood, Um, and you know, like I'm still pretty new to working in entertainment and being a talent manager. Um, Whoa, I still have a lot to learn. um,
1: (laughs) Your life is just blossoming so much in these last three years. It's so cool to see because I've only I've known you. For almost two years now that I think about it. Yeah. And I've seen you grow just as you've seen me, and it inspires me. You know, keep pushing, stay sober. Life gets better.
0: Yeah, I feel like and there's this thing that I'll tell people who are kind of like newly sober who feel like, oh, like, Mm. I don't think I can do like, you know, like I needed alcohol to dance. I needed drugs Mm. to like connect with anyone. How am I going to be able to have fun? How am I going to be able to do any of the things that I could do before? And like my experience, my personal experience has been that like I always use this analogy of the Dumbo feather, you know, like in the Disney movie Dumbo. Yes, um, yes. Dumbo he gets this feather from a crow and all of a sudden he can fly and then at the end of the movie he loses the feather and he discovers that he could fly all along
1: and the feather was just... It's so, <laughs> so perfect. It's so on
0: point and also adorable. <laughs> yeah, I, I love the imagery of it. So, yeah. I always say that like drugs and alcohol were my Dumbo feather. You know, mm. like the abilities have always been inside me. Um, I just thought that I needed this thing to be able to do them. But then when I got sober, I discovered like it was inside me all me along. Me too.
1: Totally. Like I was dancing at this party last night where everyone had a red solo cup in their hands and none of them were dancing. And I was being a goofball. And I just felt completely free. And I compared it to the way I felt when I used to go to music festivals in my early 20s. And I'd i be on three different drugs at the same time, feeling that level of freedom. But, you know, mixed with this sort of heart racy, manic uh-huh. uh, anxiety, I guess, is what combining three dr- drugs together will do to you. Um, but I felt that last night and I was completely free of drugs and alcohol. And... I, I I like how I said how my even my fashion style and my my sort of fashion sensibilities have refer, reverted back to my early teens. I feel like my heart and my spirit have reverted back to that fun, loving 13 year old me in a good way. Like I was always the class clown and, you know, the first girl on the dance floor at the high school dances never had a date. But I would and I and Aww. everyone would kind of make fun of me. But I and I was I was never drinking or drugging back then. I didn't start till I was older. Um, But I was so I had so much fun as a young person sober before I dipped into drugs and alcohol. And I'm I'm getting that back. Yeah, it's a gift. It's a gift to have that fun, loving, youthful energy again and look around the party. All the people who are super self-conscious with their red solo cups and be like, actually, like, I don't give a shit. Life is so great. (laughs) I feel so free now. I really do
0: parties full of sober people are really great because like <laughs> they're they, crazy you walk in and everyone's already comfortable you know like sometimes when I walk into parties where um, you know not everyone's sober like everyone there's like this awkward two hours where everyone's just yeah. like trying to work up the nerve to be who they are <laughs> which is so crazy to me like
1: absolutely um, sober parties are the weird we get extra weird and have extra fun because we don't have drugs or anything uh-huh. like I've had the most craziest sober party experiences. People always some of my friends joke that they always turn into orgies. They don't, but they have. Um <laughs> <laughs> We're sorta of, we love that adrenaline rush too. That natural adrenaline. Oh God, it's the best. So I wanna ask you, what does being free mean to you?
0: Whoa.
1: <laughs> Let me just knock you upside the head with
0: that's, that one. Roll that's quirk. a really big question. I know. It's a um, little happy. Take your time. <laughs> I don't know. Being free for me, like that has changed and evolved all throughout my sobriety. You know, being free. I think the biggest thing for me right now, it's being free of like my old preconceived notions of like what it what it takes to be happy, you know, like and that's that's kind of been a recurring theme through my um through my sobriety, like figuring out, like, oh, what'll make me happy? Or, like, even in my 20s, what'll make me happy? Money and fame. Like, oh, no. God, yeah. I Ugh. got a little bit of it, got a taste of it, wasn't enough. Yeah. N- never enough. Never enough. Um, never enough. And then I get sober. It's like, oh, well, being myself and comfortable. And yeah, that's part of it. And like, being free on a day to day basis, like, it's just such a heavy question. Mm. I feel like through the work I've done, you know, like, I'm really comfortable in my skin and I'm really happy with the life that I've built. You know, like my life is built around like I'm really busy all the time, but it's like generally helping people, you know, whether it's like facilitating a sober event or like working with like young transitioners. or How does, working with... how does
1: um, being of service and helping others affect you?
0: I mean, it just gives me the drive and purpose that I never had, you know?
1: Yeah. Because like, like we're talking about money and fame, we, I've gotten doses of it. I still am chasing it. I'm not going to lie.
0: Uh-huh. But
1: it, I know now in my heart that that is not what is not enough to fill me. Yeah. And it will never fill me. It can be fun. It can be a cool platform. I like buying expensive shoes, but there's as soon as I buy the expensive pair of shoes, it's on to the next expensive pair of shoes uh-huh. that's going to fill me. And, and it never does.
0: Yeah, I think for me being free is that just like being really comfortable in my skin with who I am with who I'm with, and just being really happy with the life that I've built and what I do in my day-to-day life and like you know it took me 27 years of like butting my head against the wall and like getting nowhere and then another like two years of like figuring it out and working really hard to get to a point where like now at um I just turned 32 and I feel like I'm just like really really happy and really really free
1: you look really happy and you glow and it's from the inside and that gives me hope just like With the sobriety thing, you know, it's not always easygoing when when you spend many years chasing away bad feelings with a drink. But the bad days pass now and I actually am afforded this amazing reality of a lot of good days. And that's new to me. And I fucking love it. And I have cool bitches like you keeping me going. Yeah. Really, though, it's kind of crazy how much someone's Instagram posts can, re- like, remind you, like, everything is going to be okay. Like, we can all do this and get more true to our true truest inner selves. Whoa. So can you tell me what life was like before you got sober a little bit in terms of the drinking and the drugging?
0: Yeah. I mean, um, okay, so... Where do I start? I started smoking weed when I was like 15, right? And I instantly like, I smoked weed with some friends, and then two days later, I was looking for my own connect. And six months later, I was making edibles and selling them at school. Like it was that wow. fast. Where I was just like, this is great, off and running. Like this is great. I just want to do it all the time. And <laughs> guess what? I can make money off it. And. um And then drinking, I didn't start drinking till heavily till I was about 19 when my dad died and there was just like this awful trauma and like on top of the gender Mm. stuff, I was just like, we're just going to tune everything out. And then the rest is just really fuzzy. For a while. I was with a band and I remember we had like some success. Um, and that was like really cool. But um I was in and out of a blackout all the time and like you know, I would I coughed a resentment against one of my bandmates and then I sabotaged that like so hard and burned no. those bridges. Um and yeah, I don't know. Um by the time I was 27, you know, when I was like addic- physically addicted to alcohol, like life was just awful. Like my life revolved around stopping my hands from shaking and stopping the dry heaves. Like it was just like drinking enough to like not be sick.
1: And 27 is such a young age to get sober. I was 26 when I got sober and it was weird because I was very torn. I was like, should I get sober? Because a part of me thought I was too old like I had wasted years and another part of me was like no you're too young you're still in your 20s you gotta keep partying because uh-huh. everyone would always say this thing about how your 20s are the best time of your life well mine sure weren't no, they were. Awful. <laughs> I feel yeah. actually like as I get older and older that each year gets better and I imagine like 80 year old me just sitting on a fur throne of joy and happiness I yeah it was like this weird
0: thing where Well, I'd
1: run my life into the ground at 26. Yep. There wasn't much left for me at 26.
0: It's actually funny because I've seen your posts about like Amy Winehouse and the 27 Club. And yes. like as a musician, like that was my thing. I was like and I, you know, like I was never comfortable in my own skin and I hated myself my whole life. So I'm like, cool, 27 Club. That's what I'm aiming for. Yeah, me Be too. This, like epic musician and I'm just going to like drink myself to death by the time I'm 27. So then I turned yeah. 27 and I was still alive. <laughs> and I was just like, oh, OK, well, that's not going to happen crap and i And like, also
1: like i had accomplished n- nothing. like nothing at 27 yeah. um so it was like yeah i'm gonna go on a blaze of glory except for it's just me and my shitty apartment with uh-huh. someone living in the living room and riding the metro to the strip club because i don't have a car you know go on such a blaze of glory like not exactly what i pictured the glory to look like
0: yeah when i when i like bottomed out i had lost like you know, I had lost my job, I had lost my apartment, I had lost my dog, I had lost, like, Aww. everything. I was sleeping on my mom's couch and just kind of, like, trying to get that next fix. And mm-hmm. it was so, so awful. Such a
1: dismal reality. Yeah.
0: I would, um, you know, like, I would come out—I was ending up in the hospital about once a week, and I'd just, like, pass out and then come to, come to a hospital bed, and it's just, like, well— this sucks what happened and then I would drink on the way home because like <laughs> mm-hmm. what else am I gonna do um, that's
1: I'm I'm an alcoholic that's what yeah. I do yeah so it sounded like you were good and ready to yeah. quit all of that at 27 I know it was weird how 27 was kind of this turning point I got sober at 26 and I remember thinking like oh I understand the 27 club now at least in the trajectory of my life uh 27 was it was the turning point of I need to shit or get off the pot Uh with this self-destruction bullshit. Yeah. It was just not working out anymore. Well, your life's so much bigger now, and I'm happy for you to see you like this.
0: It's like I never could have imagined. Like, even when I was newly sober, like, I couldn't imagine what my life would be like today, you know?
1: No, me neither. I always, I mean, I thought, well, I'll be, you know, a stand-up comedian. But then I got to write for this amazing publication and now I'm writing a book and it's like writing was always in my heart and was something I was good at but I never planned it I didn't say I'm gonna be a writer I thought I would just do stand up forever and life takes you in new tra- in new directions that you can be present for yeah that yeah. you can show up for and also it's just crazy because after you get sober you have all this time on your hands what else are you gonna do than put it towards your dreams like I can't binge too many shows and all of the new time I have on my
0: hands uh-huh my first year like I watched a lot of Netflix it really honestly like it wasn't until I went on the disarm hate when I went across the country and like stood where where a trans woman was found murdered and then we also went to like There was, I went to this bar where, like, a man saw two men holding hands outside, and then he went home, got a gun, came back, and shot up the place. Jesus. I went to this spot on the Appalachian Trail where, like, um, you know, there was a lesbian couple that was hiking the trail and camping and they were found by a hunter and hunted. And it was just like, oh these my God, awful, awful places. And I came back and I was just like, OK, like all this time that I would be binge watching, like I feel like I should be doing something better. <laughs> the you fire know, was front. lit
1: under your ass, yeah. kind of. And I think the first year sober really is about surviving. Yeah. Every emotion is new. It's like a fucking roller coaster. Somebody described it once as like the, the level of a video game you got to get through that's the first year sober to me. It was about surviving and that's okay. And you get accustomed to living everyday life. And then all of a sudden you're like, okay, I'm a little more comfortable with life getting a bit bigger. And then like having a purpose behind it all is so nice. My purpose before was just get fucked up and try to look cool online Uh (laughs) it was very like trying to make it seem glamorous but it wasn't it was just a lot of throwing up mostly (laughs) um so what do you have planned coming up in your life you're working at the talent agency
0: so yeah I just started at the talent agency um so disarm hate they're prepping it for um they're prepping it to take it to festivals and I think we're going to do tours with it um, I've talked to the director, and we're just gonna take it and like show it, and maybe do some educational stuff at like schools around the country, Rod. and like do some sensitive sensitivity training or like Good. just show the film. um, so I have a lot of stuff to look forward to in that avenue um about. Probably about three to five months after I got back from the trip, I was appointed to a city board. So I'm on.
1: That's right. Yeah. yeah. Tell me about that.
0: I'm on the transgender advisory board for the city of West Hollywood.
1: That's amazing. It's free. What what do y'all do there?
0: So basically, I mean, basically, we're just an advisory board to the city council. Right. And like whenever there's like some trans issue that they would have to pass legislation or vote on like we they would come to us first like in name but in practice like we organize a lot of events and like um you know like we do a lot of the trans events in the city of west hollywood maybe some non-drinking
1: events like you were talking about yeah
0: cool um And that just is kind of the people that I meet through that board, because we'll get all sorts of nonprofits and like people who work um, within different facets of the community. They'll just come in and they'll maybe make a presentation or push for us to like help move through some legislation or. um, But I just meet really amazing people who like lead me on to other projects. That's what it
1: sounds like. It's like you're lily padding from one project to the next by these cool people who are on the same mission as you. Yeah. How do people find out about these trans events coming up? That you guys are planning? Is there a place to find them online?
0: Yeah, I mean, you can go to the city of West Hollywood. Honestly, like when people are looking for um, just resources, I generally tell them to start with the LA LGBT Center. Um,
1: it's, yeah, a good starting
0: point. Yeah, just because they, they tend to have flyers on. A bulk of the events that are going on in the city, um, and you know, so in LA, like if you're a Los Angeles native, you can go to the LA LGBT Center and they'll kind of like point you in the direction of trans resources. When um, the city of West Hollywood has events, like we bounce it through all the other LGBT centers. Like, oh, cool! And so then... it's all like
1: like little leaflets everywhere, uh huh, yeah. spreading the great word. Um, cool.
0: And yeah, I don't know. At events, I- I'm always trying to figure out like how do we get to the community you know like there's people that just don't know how to find us and how to find resources and stuff um and thankfully there's tons of people who are working on that there's people who do these things that are called like the midnight stroll and they just kind of like walk through like different parts of generally they tend to work through areas where sex workers work
1: i love it uh-huh. that's amazing and good then, it, it, like you were talking about intersection intersectionality earlier With like sex work and trans people, there's a big intersection there Uh and we've got to have each other's backs or we're really not going to stand up at all. Yeah. And it's been, yeah, I love having you on like, just like, oh, I'm so proud of you. And I always see you just like the intersectionality is so important. I think there's no feminism without intersectionality. Yeah, totally. Same with sex workers. You know, there's sex workers of every race, of every sexual orientation, everything Um, Where can people find you specifically online?
0: Um, So my social media of choice is probably Instagram these days. Um, My Instagram handle is Alexis, A-L-X-I-S, the letter N, and transit, like a transit system. Get it? Uh, Cute. Because I drive a lot. Um, (laughs) um, You can find me there um, or I'm trying to think. I never got into Twitter. I should maybe try it. No, and like it's Twitter all good. More. I feel like Instagram's
1: like what's hot right now. That's what's popping yeah. right now. I think with their new little Instagram story feature that I'm all about, yeah. which is essentially just Snapchat on Instagram. I think that's what's popping off right now. And people can follow you there. You're sort of going to yeah. post the events coming up.
0: Um yeah, I mean, there's a ton of Facebook groups. And then you can find me as Alexis Sanchez on Facebook. Um, and then, um, yeah, there's so many groups that help to organize. And I I use that personally a lot to help, like, get the word out about events Promote, and yeah. or, like, find out about events and stuff like that.
1: Yeah, Facebook to me is um, just more about booking, getting uh-huh. on comedy shows or just... You know, networking because it's like everyone's parents on it. I used to just post like dirty jokes. I still post dirty jokes, but it used to be even grosser because nobody, nobody's aunt was on there before.
0: Yeah.
1: But cool, it's kind of like a professional thing now. And I want to shout out Meltdown Comics um, Studios, where we're at right now. Meltdown Comics at 7522 Sunset Boulevard. Come check it out. It's the raddest spot in town. Amazing comedy shows happening in the back. All kinds of cool events. Check them out online as well. And a quick thank you to Mason, my producer, for always showing up and being awesome. And thank you, Alexis. You really had a lot of amazing messages today. And it was so cool to actually bring you in here like we talked about.
0: Thanks for having me. This was so rad.
1: Yeah. So thank you all for listening. Bye.